What's up? What's up? This is Zach Boschman checking in. You are locked into the Citizen Truth podcast. We are honored today to be joined by Miko Pelled. The book is The General Sun. We'll be talking about a bit of it today. Um, Miko, I think the most productive use of our time today would be to go through a bit of your life story. Um, I obviously would encourage everybody to, to read the book um, who wants to hear it in uh, more detail. But uh, let's start with, with who was your father? Who was Matty Pellet? Well, thanks for having me on your, on your broadcast. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah I well, my father was Matty Pellet. He was, the thing he became famous for is that he, of course, was a general in the IDF in the Israeli army during the 1967 war, so throughout the 1960s. And he was one of the generals who uh, orchestrated, initiated, and then eventually, you know, allowed the victory of 1967 to, to, to happen. And that entire generation of generals, that type of generals became you know, larger than life. They were like the gods of the Olympus in terms of Israeli society, Israeli society. But then, right after the war, he started talking about the need for uh, what he felt was a compromise on the issue of Palestine, and he felt that the victory opened an opportunity for Israel to make peace with its neighbors, based on you know swapping land for peace, and they believed that the Palestinians should have, you know, should be allowed to um, determine their own political fate, their own future, and uh, to establish their own state in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. So the, the two areas that Israel conquered in, in 1967. And then the rest of his life, he died in 1995. So shortly after the Oslo Accords were signed, he pushed for this idea of what we know today as a two-state solution, as, of course, Israel did what he could to make it impossible. And that became his legacy, this push for an Israeli-Palestinian peace based on a two-state solution. So I'd like to talk about your upbringing a little bit. Um, what was your uh, view on Israel's kind of place in the world and, and uh, your view on Palestine uh, growing up in Israel? Well, growing up, there was no Palestine. There was, we were, there was Israel and there were Arabs who lived within Israel. And then there were these occupied territories um, that because of my father's influence, of course, I grew up believing uh, that the Palestinians who live there should be given the right to self-determination. But, um, you know, I was a Zionist. We were all Zionists. And we believed in, in not just the right of Israel to exist, uh, but that this was uh, some kind of a historical miracle that the Jews were, you know, came back to their ancient homeland and established a state and were independent and strong and so on and productive and democratic and more wonderful thing the Zionists were able to do. And of course, many of these Zionists were part of my family and part of the friends of my family and kind of part of that my circle I was growing up. So I was, uh, I was a firm believer in Zionism and the, in, the, in the state, in the state of Israel and, and its rights to exist and, and what it needs to do. And of course, you know, we need to make peace within that context. So I, I remember reading, um, you know, maybe it was when you were in your, your 20s, um, you had uh, traveled around the world a bit uh, with your wife, and then um, you eventually end up in Southern California. 
um, opening a karate dojo. Um, it seems to me like once you got out of Israel, the the politics of Israel and, and Palestine were, were kind of foreign to you at that point? Well, I wouldn't say that they were foreign, but they were not part of my life. I lived my life. I you know, had a career in martial arts, which is something I loved and enjoyed. And, and yeah, I lived in Southern California. And it was, it was not foreign. It was part of me, but it was not part of my life at all. Got you. And then um, something big shifts in the late 90s, and uh, it sends you down this new path. I'm wondering if you could speak to that. Sure, and I apologize for the Mulligan sitting outdoors. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I the, the shift that I went through from being uh, a very uh, patriotic Israeli and a Zionist to rejecting Israel altogether and rejecting Zionism altogether began or got its major push um, when in 1997, like I said, uh, there was a... Uh, my sister's little girl was killed in a, in a suicide attack in Jerusalem. That began a process of, of reflection and uh, self-reflection, kind of re trying to understand what the story of Palestine is, uh, who the Palestinians are, what is my place in that reality, and how do, you know who, who are we, the Israelis? Who am I within all of that? And um, you know, I think normally when we go through you know, what drives us into big changes in our ideology and our thinking and our belief system is usually something terrible. It's usually a terrible shock that kind of drives us. And that was, in my case, that was the, uh, that's what happened. Um, so what you said before that when you were growing up, uh, Palestine didn't exist. Uh, what, what did it look like for you um, to begin kind of crossing into uh, the other side and, and, um, you know, beginning to see uh, the world you grew up in from a different perspective. Like, what what was it like to, uh, you know, seek out and begin to hear uh, those other voices? At first, it seemed to me like I was taking a big risk. I felt like I was taking a really big risk, venturing out of this very safe and clean sphere of the colonizer and into the sphere of the occupied and the colonized to borrow from you know, France Fanon. So that was a big, you know, because we know that the people who live on the other side are dangerous and um, you can't trust them and they want to kill us and they have full of hate and all irrational and so on. So I felt that I was taking a big risk and the first few times that I actually did cross over from one sphere to the other, I was scared. I was, uh, I was scared for my life. Um, but then the more I did it, the more I realized that the, the sphere that was injected into me was like a virus. It needs to be, I, I need to heal myself, cleanse myself from the sphere. And I did eventually. Uh, but at first it seemed like I was taking a big risk to go out there and talk to the people on the other side. Um, I was wondering if you could speak to um, getting into Gaza. Um, I know that you had uh, a couple failed attempts at first. Um, but uh, I think I think that's a super interesting story. Yeah, so I, I tried to enter into Gaza several times um, through Egypt, um, but every time there was something. I, I can't enter officially from Israel because I hold an Israeli citizenship, and Israel prohibits Israelis from entering Gaza. 
And so I tried to Egypt a couple of times and that didn't work either. And then finally in I believe it was 2013, a friend wrote me a message and asked me if I'd be interested to come into a subway. A subway meaning tunnels. In those days, the tunnels was before they were all destroyed. And there was still a possibility to as pedestrians to go through. And I said yes. And I went through this very, very interesting process. Some of it was harrowing. It's driving through North, Northern Sinai where it's, there's just lawlessness and gangs, armed gangs, not Palestinians, but you know, others. Uh, and the Egyptian authorities are, are very brutal. That was a little harrowing. Uh, and then eventually, uh, from across to Rafah, the Egyptian side of Rafah, the Palestinian side of Rafah, and by a tunnel. Um, and I was able to spend a month in Gaza. Um, so I think it's really interesting. Um, now you've done, uh, kind of a 180 from being a Zionist growing up. Uh, now you believe in a, uh, single democratic state. Um, could you speak to me a little bit about that, how you came to that and, uh, you know, why you think, uh, that's the solution today? So the journey, I think that's a great question. I mean, the journey that I took, um, you know, the, 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 every step through this journey allowed me to realize more and more about what is actually this place called Palestine, this place called Israel, what is really taking place. And I remember the moment where I realized the whole idea of a two-state solution uh, was a myth. It was built on a Zionist construct and it was really an excuse for the Zionists to continue to take more and more Palestinian land while pretending that they actually want peace and they want to allow the Palestinians, they're willing to live the Palestinians, give the Palestinians some sort of uh, rights within a very specific context that the Zionists will permit. Um, and then as I looked at the entire country, I realized actually Palestine is a single state. It's called Israel. Israel controls every part of Palestine, from north to south, from the river to the sea. It's all controlled by Israel. It's all actually one state, except it's the states where I have, I and Israeli Jews, other Israeli Jews like myself, have all the privileges of anyone who lives kind of in liberal democracy, whereas the Palestinians do not enjoy those rights. And depending on where particularly they live within the, within the country, their rights slightly differ, or the, the restrictions on their lives slightly, slightly differ. But basically, they live without rights. There's no place where Palestinians have the rights as Israelis. And so if we already have a single state, then really that conversation of one state to two state is the new conversation. What we need to be talking about is, are we accepting a, an apartheid state, or are we going to fight for to turn to free Palestine from apartheid and create a real free democratic Palestine over all of Palestine? And of course, that's that's the decisions that I made that I was going to join that struggle and be part of that struggle. Uh, joining this struggle, um, especially I think when you have a platform, uh, you know, calling for justice and, and rights for the Palestinians comes at a cost. You know, um, a lot of us are maybe labeled anti-Semitic or, or something like that. Um, so, like what, uh, you know, you grew up around um, mostly Zionists, I would think, you know, so what what have been some of the um, 
challenges or, or, or blowback that you've experienced by, by taking this, this position of, of justice? You know, to be perfectly honest, I really hasn't, I can't say that I, that I paid any sort of price. I mean, um, it, being part of this struggle for justice in Palestine has been nothing but enriched my life. The people I've been, uh, that have become part of my life, my, my Palestinian partners, other friends that I've had who are not Palestinian or Israeli, but are part of this struggle have been and continue to be some of my best friends, my, my closest allies, people that I love and trust. So if from time to time, somebody decides to call me anti-Semitic, which is ridiculous, of course. I mean, calling people who are anti-Zionist, anti-Semitic is, is an insult to Jews. It's an insult to, you know, it's not even worth conversation, but it's, it's ridiculous. It's all they got. They, it's, they traitor, anti-Semitic, I mean, who cares? It really is a very small, it's not even a price, really. It, it's completely meaningless as far as I'm concerned. Um, but what I've gained is the result the ending and also having a good kind of grasp of who I am within that within the context of Palestine as an Israeli and so on I really can't I've only I've only gained as a result of my journey the struggle I can't say that I've suffered anything at all yes. that wouldn't be true just one last question uh you've you've obviously uh spent a lot of time talking to um Palestinians and, and studying this issue um, most of our audience is in America, in the United States. Um, what, what path, you know, should we take if we want to see, see a future where Palestinians can live a more dignified life? Is it supporting BDS? Um, like, uh, you know, what, what do you, do you have for us as far as, you know, um, ideas for action? That's a great question. Um, I think we need to understand, first of all, that if we don't act, then things will continue to get uh, worse and worse and worse in Palestine and for Palestinians. In other words, people like to use this term of status quo. There's no status quo in Palestine. Israel is on a mission to destroy and kill. And Palestine has, is being destroyed on a regular basis. Neighborhoods, homes, neighborhoods, uh, uh, cities, villages, historic monuments, uh, unless they somehow could connect them to the biblical mythology, they're being destroyed. Ancient churches, mosques, you name it. The history of, of, of Palestine is being completely destroyed by, by the state of Israel as much as possible. And Palestinians' lives are being destroyed. And they're being killed wholesale, as we know. Uh, whether it's by bullets, whether it's by denying them water, whether it's by denying them. Uh, access to medical care and so on. So Israel is, is, is marching forward in a very brutal, straightforward and clear way. If we don't act, it's not going to stop and we're going to find ourselves one day seeing the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is, besides its, its religious importance, is, is historically one of the most magnificent structures. Um, I think it's more beautiful than the Taj Mahal. It's going to be older and more significant than the Taj Mahal. You wouldn't imagine people talking about destroying the country. There is serious talk about destroying Al-Aqsa and, and building some kind of a temple in its, its place. If we don't act, if we don't stop this process, Palestine will deteriorate and things will get worse and worse progressively because Israel is not going to stop on its own. What can we do? We need, every single person needs to embrace the struggle for a free democratic Palestine with everything they've got. 
uncompromising rejection of Zionism. There should be zero tolerance to Zionism, just like there should be zero, zero tolerance to anti-Semitism and all other forms of racism and bigotry and supremacy. It should be, Zionism should be placed on that same column of all other forms of racism and, uh, and bigotry. And there should be zero tolerance to Zionism. We should act and demand that our elected officials embrace and support the Palestinian call for boycott, divestment, and sanctions against the state of Israel. Israel should be boycotted. Israeli, you know, in the last Olympics, there were two athletes, two judo athletes, judo athletes who refused to compete against the Israeli team. They were kicked out. They were suspended. They were punished. That is the way to go. Every athlete needs to do that until the Olympics completely uh, kick out Israel from the Olympics, from you know the World Cup, every 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 sporting, cultural, academic event. That is the way to go, and we need to demand from our elected officials to push for that, to demand for that. When we do that, things will change very rapidly. It's up to every single person to stand up and do everything they can to support the Palestinian call for freedom and justice. Um, and in the end, we need to remember that this is going to benefit everyone. You know, almost half the population in Palestine today are Israeli Jews. They too will benefit from a free democratic Palestine. Not that I'm worried about them, but I'm saying it's going to be a good solution for everyone uh, all around. So I would, I would urge every single person to take on the struggle as if it was their own life, their own struggle, their own children involved. Miko, thank you so much for joining us today. Hope to talk again at some point. Appreciate it. Thank you. shout out to thomas aaron music for the new intro and outro music and please check us out at citizentruth.org much love